Dear Jesus, we want to thank you for this time where we can speak of your goodness, speak of your love for your people. We thank you that we have the ability and the means and the love and the desire to help those around us, just to show a piece of the magnitude of, of your love that's waiting for them. May we never forget that, and may we continue always to use the goodness that you provide for us to reach out and help others. We love you so much. Amen. Okay, today, where are we going to go? We're going to conclude chapter 4. This is the second part of the message of Paul's appeal to the Galatians. You know, thinking about that, I got a little nostalgic. I was remembering as a kid, and some of you will remember that also, that TV shows did this. It was the worst thing in the world back then. They would, they would have a show, it would end, and you'd go like, what is this? It would say, come back next week for part two. Now, you younger people like us, oh, no big deal. But back then, it was a major deal. You had to plan everything around, making sure you're in front of that TV. And in my family, you're hoping to be no stupid Lawrence Welk special that would wipe out my ability to watch the second Batman or something. It, would, it was horrible. And you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? You'll just, like, catch it on, on another? No, not back then. Back then, if you missed an episode, you got a, there's only one other shot ever in the world to see it. And that would be on a rerun. And that was it. There was no, you guys are so fortunate. We're so fortunate today because they do that. They'll drop series, and you're like, okay, I'll, I'll catch it next week, or I'll, you know, I'll just wait till they all drop. And, and binge watch or whatever, but not back then. It was do or die, folks. It was do or die. And the sad thing is if you missed a rerun, if you missed a rerun, you had to just find out who on the playground saw it. And they always embellished it. They always embellished it. Some of the worst things in the world, like traveling with your parents, and you're on the road, and you're just driving in a car, and you knew, you just knew Charlie Brown was on that night. And there is no way in the world you're going to see it. There is no way in the world you're going to see it. You're going to miss it. Even though you've watched it the previous four years. It was the only time you got it. So the good thing is this is recorded. So if you miss, if you fall asleep or miss what I'm saying, you can go back and listen to it. But, you know, so there's a safety net here. We didn't have the safety nets. Then There was no video recordings, no YouTube no network streaming channels or other apps. Um, it was do or die. So, in today's passage, though, Paul is going to share some direct appeals to the Galatians, and they're very powerful. He's going to tell them, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, and then later he'll say, cast out that slave woman and her son. These appeals will ultimately lead us to where we're going next week in chapter 5.1. Paul will tell them, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul is returning to the case he made about what it means to be the children of Abraham. And he made that case back in chapter 3, verses 7 through 29. 
chapter 3, verses 7 through 29, he made that case to be the children of Abraham. But Paul's going to go a little deeper by distinguishing the two lines of Abraham this week. The two lines of Abraham. One that came from the slave woman, Hagar, and one that came from the free woman, Sarah. Paul is going to argue to the Galatians that they belong actually to the second line through the free line now that they become believers. He is telling that they are children of the Spirit born through a promise. To do this, Paul's going to take them through an Old Testament narrative, Genesis chapters 16 through 21. Paul's going to provide a mixture of argument and appeal in this passage, but most scholars state that this is a continuation of the appeal that he's been making since chapter 4, verse 8. But Paul does something new here. He does something new here. He's been citing a series of texts from other passages that he's, that he's written, but now he's going to use what he calls an allegorical approach. Between the narrative we read today in Genesis 16.21 and the current situation that's taking place in that day. So why does Paul do this? Why is he going to take this approach? Now we know Paul was a very smart, he was very smart and gifted. So what he's going to do, he's going to use the Sarah and Hagar narrative to further develop and refine the argument from the earlier when he said in chapter 3 that ended in verse 29 stating, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul is making the case here that the mark of a true child of God is becoming a child through his promise and not by birth into a people. So we'll look at, at, at this passage in one today. I'm not giving you three. I'm not giving you four sections. We're going to look through one, and it's called the Children of Promise. Children of Promise. So let's go over the passage. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. By the son of the slave was, aboard, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Sla bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And she corresponds to present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more than those of the one who has a husband. One, I'm sorry, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those 
who have a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just at that time, he was who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him was who was born according to the spirit. So also is it now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you so much for what it means. And of all people, Paul, how awesome. He's the one that you chose to discuss this with his background, with his present situation as your child, and, and just the knowledge he brings to it. We love, Holy Spirit, how you put this on Paul, how you shaped it to bring this Old Testament story into what currently is happening. We love you so much. Amen. So, children of the promise, verse 21, let's dig in. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul starts right in on the Galatians, doesn't he? It says, you who desire to be under the law. Now, to be under the law means you are under the authority of the Mosaic law. And we know that this is a situation that leads to condemnation and not freedom, especially after all the time we spent in Isaiah. We are all familiar with that. And Paul had just told them in chapter 3, verse 13, 313, that Christ had redeemed us by, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ had redeemed them from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, these Jewish ag agitators that came in saying they, they had the true message from the church in Jerusalem had no doubt led the church in Galatia to consider placing themselves under the law, and by doing so, they are misleading that church by no doubt telling them that this is how they inherit the blessings of Abraham. So Paul is taking that information that the Jewish agitators had given to them and will walk them through the promise of Abraham during the rest of this appeal. So I love how he ends verse 21 here when you look at that. Paul is asking the people who are considering to being under the law to hear the law. And not just hearing or listening to it, but have they really paid attention? Have they really understood what these agitators are going to be requiring of them? And do they understand what that really requires on their life? So then Paul starts in with his Old Testament narrative. So he says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons in 22, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So he begins 22 with this customary formal introduction stating, it is written. So they know there's authority. It is written. Paul says that because he will now introduce 
the law that he wants the Galatians to understand. So Paul, we know, is a master at getting the truth across in what mothers might cons- others might consider unusual. We remember what Peter wrote about Paul, right? He says some hard things. So we're going to see what he does here. He does not go into a series of quotations from the Old Testament, but gives them a brief summary of this Old Testament narrative concerning Sarah and Hagar. And i got to be honest, when we started, when Al brought up Galatians, it was like, oh yeah, let's do that. I remember going through it and hoping I would get this section. So this is really cool. And so I wanted to really be able just to dig in and, and go through this. So, And Paul is using 1621. He's using it as he focuses in on the birth of the two sons. And this is important because the Jewish agitators are saying their way leads to heaven. So, so we're going to see what Paul does here. He will discuss the one born from a slave woman and the other born to a free woman. And we know that these women, we know who these women are, but Paul is talking about their condition because he's trying to show where it ultimately leads. He's not so worried so much about names. So he's talking about their condition and the overall Bible narrative. In fact, as we go through this, you'll see Paul does not even mention the name Sarah anywhere in this passage, but only refers to her as the free woman. And later, quoting 54.1 of Isaiah, he calls her the desolate one in verse 27. So Paul, referring to Sarah as the free woman, um, is doing something that the Old Testament does not come out and call her. So we see he's not quoting word for word, but he's bringing out this, this narrative that he wants to share. Um, it doesn't mean he's stretching the text at all, but what he's doing is referring to her what in reality And this is what was revealed to him through the Holy Spirit. She is the free woman. The line that leads to the whole line of Jesus and ultimately to Gentiles comes through her. So see what Paul has done here. In Galatians 3, 7 through 4, 7, Paul's concern was paternal. He was talking paternal, and he uses it in the argument, showing to us the people who by faith attach themselves to Christ, these are the children of Abraham by the promise. That's what he did there. But in this section, Paul's concern is maternal, maternal. And he will make the successful appeal that believers are the children of the free woman and not from the slave woman. And in 23, 23 says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. So here we go with Paul's wonderful example. Paul will now contrast 
the birth of these two sons. The one from the slave woman, the one according to the flesh, and the other from the free woman. Here, Paul has given us two words in opposition with themselves. We have the flesh, and we can also call free the promise. We know the flesh. Abraham and Sarah, remember, tried to do God's work for him. No mistake about that. Sarah decided to give Hagar to Abraham to be wedded and produce a son. That's what they did in their own strength. And side note, don't we all do that today? Instead of waiting for that word back from God, we figure, okay, we prayed about it. Let's go do it. God will bless it. Here was a complete example of why you wait. Why you wait and get an answer. So, while God's promise to Abraham was that he would have an heir, he would have an heir, and today we can look back and say, why didn't they wait? We could pass our own judgment. We knew that Isaac, because we see in the past, we born to Sarah, who was old and barren, and they had a hard time believing that it would come true, but it did. Isaac was Abraham's heir. We see it in Genesis 17. Genesis 17, 15 through 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, <coughs> I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell to his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety, bear a child? So we know that the son born to Sarah was a promise from God, a promise. Paul wants to make the birth of Isaac more noticeable in its importance than it was the birth of the slave. The birth of the slave. And like I stated earlier, there was nothing miraculous or divine about the birth of Ishmael. Man took it upon himself to try to do God's work for him and took the matter into his own hand. And the people of that region have been regretting it ever since. Verse 24, Paul says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are from two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Paul is taking this interpretation to a different direction. He says that these things are being taken allegorically. And since Paul is referring to the, referring to the women of the narrative rather than the narrative self, this is what he means by interpreting it allegorically. And you're saying, what does that mean? Paul is using a set of realities of the story of Sarah and Hagar to speak of another set of realities that's taking place in this modern time back then. The other set is a foreshadowing of the realities of the new covenant that he is defending. He's defending this against the Judaizers. So the two women 
represent two covenants. One of the covenants being Mount Sinai, and she bears children of slavery, and that woman is Hagar. Paul's focus on Mount Sinai is identifying the covenant associated with Hagar as the Mosaic Covenant. And that being the case, we naturally know that he is referring to those children born into slavery as these unbelieving Jews. 25 says, Now Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now early in verse 25, Paul stated a well-known geographical fact as the preparation for the point that he's going to make later in verse 25. Now the mountain that is in Sinai, that is represented by Hagar, is in Arabia. And she, Hagar, besides that, now represents the present-day Jerusalem. The present-day Jerusalem being lined up with Hagar and Mount Sinai represents the Judaism of Paul's day, which focused on the law given to Moses at Sinai. <coughs> and the special identity the law had in distinguishing God's people from all other nations. In verse 30, Paul's going to give the Galatians an exhortation to cast out the slave woman. This could mean that he does not think the people that he has in mind are just Jews in general, but possibly the Judaizer, the Judaizers that are agitating the people. They are the ones that represent the slave woman and need to be thrown out. So this present Jerusalem, this does not just represent Judaism, Judaism in general, but it's talking about this fake Christianity brought into this church. Um, they're the ones who mixing of the two. They're mixing of the <coughs> two, and they claim to come from the mother church in Jerusalem. And they claim that if you follow the law in addition to what Jesus is and what Christianity stands for, you will be blessed and you will be of Abraham. And the rest of this passage, with its references to the two sons of Abraham, these are the dueling covenants and the flesh promise contrast suggest to us that Paul is engaged in a more basic contrast of these two readings of the salvation history. He's going to use one that focuses on the law as a continuing qualification for the people of God, and the other one he's going to focus on is the law-free gospel that we know as Christianity. We see this contrast earlier in Paul's argument back in 3.15 all the way to 4.7. He talks about this. So then the present Jerusalem is Paul's way of speaking of the Judaism going on in his day in that it's a false religion that continues to rely on the law and ignore the gifts that God gave us in Christ 
and the major gift of Jesus that died on the cross for us. By Paul using the language of Jerusalem in his contrast, we see him laying the groundwork to get to verse 27, where he's going to quote Isaiah 54.1. Now this free slave contrast is fundamental to the argument we're going to have here. Hagar is identified as the slave woman, and now Paul claims that the present Jerusalem is also enslaved with their children. So the Hagar, Sinai Mountain, represent the present Jerusalem because it, like Hagar, is in slavery. Now we go to the other part, 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So now in contrast to the Jerusalem enslaved, with her children, it says the Jerusalem above is free. Now, in spiritual geography of early Judaism and Christianity, the word above means heavenly. We see it in Acts 2.19. It says, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Even Jesus used it. In John 8, 23, he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So, the Jerusalem above means the heavenly Jerusalem, the one to come. So, Paul is stating this new Jerusalem, like Sarah in the Old Testament, is free. It's free. Paul is ensuring that they, know, that they know this means they are free of the law. They're believers. The agitators are coming in trying to put a yoke on them. Paul's saying, you are free. And I think he's made this very clear since the beginning, since being subject to and even considered being under the law, slavery. And it was a major theme we have seen all the way through 323, of Galatians to 4.11. And it is hinted at here in the regards to Sinai and slavery. Paul is ensuring the Galatians know that apart from Christ, that apart from Christ, Jewish people live in a state of condemnation that has been bound, they have been bound in slavery, but he is also pointing out that You know, right now, your current condition, as believers, you belong to the Jerusalem above, and your mother is free. So this is a theologically sound message, giving us the idea that when people are saved by grace, they are saved or birthed into a new line of freedom, freedom from the law and freedom from sin. He confirms this message in in 5.1 when he calls on the believers to stand firm in their freedom and not to submit to the yoke of slavery. I keep quoting 5.1. I should have just stepped on it and took that over for Al next week. 27. For it is written. There he goes again. For it is written. Rejoice, O barren one, you who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, 
you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Familiar verse, familiar verse, 54.1. I saw it and, and was instantly smiled. I got to speak on this verse last March. It felt like a lot longer than that, but it was only March of 2022. We were still in Isaiah and in 54. And it's a perfect passage for Paul to use here um, in this message to the Galatians. Here, Isaiah is calling on the barren one who does not bear a child to be glad. Remember, we talked about how rough it was in the Old Testament to be a woman who could not bear a child. I mean, you look all through history. You look at Samuel's mother, Hannah. You look at, you look at, um, you know, Joseph's mother. You look at all these, and it wasn't like a group therapy session. If you couldn't bear a child, you were thought of poorly. You were treated poorly. So here Isaiah is calling out at this time to the woman to be glad. And, and Isaiah was sharing God's message to her stating that, you know what? You will have more children than the fruitful woman on earth because ultimately the barren woman will have all the offspring of this Jerusalem above with her. The two women in this text have been identified, the slave and the free, but it, it makes sense to think that it's referring to Jerusalem and Zion at different stages of existence. Different stages of existence when you think of Jerusalem now and the Jerusalem above. And while 54 was an encouragement for back then, for a few hundred years in the future, it also celebrates the time when God will reverse the situation. He'll bring the exiles home. But it also speaks to a better time when it, it gives us a picture of the one day that we will be with Christ in heaven. Because 54.1 is a contrast between this barren and desolate city and later the same city renewed, rejuvenated, repopulated by God and God alone's own intervention on the behalf of his people. 54.1 enables Paul to do much more than just contrast Sarah and Hagar as, as the barren woman and the woman with the husband and then Sarah, the one without. What is more important, and Paul uses 54.1 to line Sarah up with the Jerusalem above, and Hagar with the present Jerusalem. And Paul uses this to portray the two parallel and reversals for the Galatians to see. Sarah, as the barren and desolate woman, will have a reversal and become the joyful mother as the once ravaged city becomes hugely populated and as one day when we're all called home and get to see heaven and see all the people that are called in. Paul is stating that this is the age yet to come and we will all experience this. Paul is also convinced that by bringing people the message of salvation, that they are being saved and birthed into this family 
and therefore adding to the future population of this city. He's also getting across that any, any human contribution to God's saving work is false and that salvation is truly a free gift and there's nothing that man can do. Hagar, on the other hand, represents this old age with its dated and, and futile hold that holding on to the law. The law, which was unable to be kept by anyone, actually led to this Jerusalem being barren and desolate in the, shortly after the time of Isaiah, when they were led out for exile. Paul may have also been pointing out that Sarah's barren condition was reversed by a special life-giving intervention by God, something only he can do. And while Abraham and surely Sarah had doubts in God's plan, they did doubt it, thus Ishmael. All along, his plan was to use these two to ultimately bring salvation to the world. Paul shares it was God who gives life to the dead. Abraham believed, and God enabled him and Sarah to produce offspring. Romans 4.17. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The same intervention of God will come into play and will transform the barren present Jerusalem into the joyful and city brimming with life in the picture of Jerusalem above. And we all know that it will only occur because of that wondrous act that Jesus performed by willingly giving his life up in obedience to God. So therefore, we would have this future life. And think about it. it was, I don't think it was any mistake. When you read Paul's writing, you know it was no mistake that 54.1 follows, follows the great fourth servant song. So it's not a stretch to think that, that Paul considered that our being in heaven and the celebration we're going to have is only brought about through that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. So after using the powerful 54.1, Paul is now in a position, now in a position to appeal to the Galatian church and give them the application that the conclusions he wants to draw from his interpretation. He's going to use verses 28 through 31 to frame his conclusion. He is telling them that as believing in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, they are now children of the promise. And in 31... He's going to tell them that they are children of the free woman. 
So in verses 29 through 30, Paul's going to go back to that Genesis narrative where we started, where usually he used earlier to identify a parallel between the Galatians and the Judaizers. He's now going to do it and bring about Isaac and Ishmael. And based on this comparison, Paul is going to call them to action. He's going to call them to act, basically by telling them to cast out the slaves, remove them. So Paul makes this shift here, starting in 28. He uses the word now to shift from his expository preaching to give the church an application here, to give an application. He also calls it to their attention by then calling them dear brothers and sisters. And he also uses the language of children. After discussing Sarah, it is no coincidence that he knits this passage together to ensure the Galatians understand that they are, as believers, children of the promise, and therefore, because of their faith, they have inherited the blessing. Paul claims that Christians are children of the promise. And, and it makes a similar point. While, while Isaac is not named in Paul's earlier message, there is no confusion, there is no confusion who the son of the free woman was through the promise. And Paul is stating here that just as Isaac was the promised heir, you also, as children, born a result of that promise, born through salvation, was led to it by the Holy Spirit, are now children of that promise. The message to the Galatians is significant. They are Gentiles. They had no claim, no claim to be children of Abraham in any natural lineage. Only by God's gracious promise would they receive this incredible gift and therefore be included among God's children. Verse 29. But just as that time he who was born who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so also is it now. You can see, ultimately, Paul's taking a shot here. He's taking a shot at the Judaizers and possibly those Galatian Christians that have already fallen under the law. Paul's going to use Sarah and Hagar's, their story, once more to make a further comparison. Now, he wants the Galatians to know that while they have the benefit of being God's children, this does no means exempt them from suffering. Just as Isaac did, um, and no doubt, Paul is witnessing, again, happening to him um, from these people he loves that have shifted over some of them, already giving him that great pain. Paul is pointing out to the fact that Ishmael's birth by human decision and inhuman power 
in contrast to Isaac's birth, according to the Spirit, and in Genesis 21, 8 to 10, we see a passage that could mean, at that time, Ishmael was mocking his younger brother. And it says in Genesis 21, 8 through 10, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. So a party for Isaac. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had been, who she had born to Abraham, was laughing. The word used there, you could also substitute in mocking. So Ishmael was not laughing with Isaac, but laughing at him. And Paul, who was indeed, we all know, very familiar with persecution and the massive amounts of pain involved in it, wants to ensure the church here knows that the persecution that it, the church, and he are facing from the Judaizers is nothing new. And it must be endured, and through it, they must remain faithful to Jesus and not give in. Verse 30, But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. But what does Scripture say? This sentence relates very well to what we saw in verse 21 when Paul wrote, Do you not hear the law? Paul crafts this verse. He crafts it very much like he did with the rest of this passage. He modifies the text in 21.10 in which Sarah is speaking to Abraham about Hagar. Paul does not name Isaac on purpose as the son, but identifies him so we can closely relate to it as the son of the free woman. This is more significant in his appeal here. He's bringing us back to the language of inheritance. He wants us to know that. Paul wants us to clearly understand that he is defining the difference between Isaac and Ishmael and and all those who had descended from them. Both are sons and both will have nations come from them. But, but, only one will be heir that is to all that is promised and all of God's spiritual promises will come to them. Paul wants them to fully understand this message, no doubt, because if they know who is the rightful heir, he wants them to understand that why, why would they choose the path that leads to death after knowing the truth? So, with that in mind, Paul does not use the name of Sarah as the original speaker in the Old Testament text, and he's able to cite the scriptural demand for the actions he expects the Galatians to take, to remove the Judaizers and their false gospel. He wants them to understand that they need to see the Judaizers and their message they're bringing to them 
for what it is, for what it is. It is a rejection of everything Jesus Christ did, and their message insists that Christ, above all, Son of God, was not enough. He was not enough. And besides what Christ did, we have to follow ceremonies, feasts, and seasons. And ultimately, what they want to get across is they need to follow them, man, in order to be saved. Verse 31, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So brothers can also be read as therefore brothers. And it serves as a direct address to the ones that, that he loves, and he's bringing this to a conclusion. He wants them to know that if they belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and true heirs to the promise. Back in Galatians chapter 3, 29, Paul argues that that Christians are in Christ, the true seed of Abraham, heirs to the promise that Abraham was given. And in today's passage, he has shown us that Christians are children of the free woman in that same line. We are able, therefore, to trace our privileged status to Abraham and realize that we are indeed children of the free woman. Paul's own version of this text in which he is stating that faith in Christ, the seed of Abraham, is fully sufficient to guarantee the inheritance and provide us the reality of the picture we see of the barren woman welcoming in her new children to a vast and wonderful new city. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for what it shows us and, and how it gives us that wonderful picture of your line for us that you made this way from this picture of these, these people old and, and in no way by their own strength could they have had Isaac and and that Paul, knowing this, taught this from the Holy Spirit, brought about this wonderful story for us, showing us that all along, this is a picture of the ultimate reality, that we are your children, born through your promise to Abraham, and we will one day be all together in heaven. We thank you for this. Help us to stay rooted and grounded in, in your word, so we can cast out any type of slavery that, that's tried to be thrust upon us. We just want to praise your name, Jesus, because it all comes back to the work you did that we are beneficiaries of. We are heirs to the same promise. We love you so much. In your precious name we pray. Amen.